There's a little phrase um, in verse 27 of the previous letter, uh, sorry, previous chapter of the book of Philippines, which as I've been working through this, thinking through, uh, it seems as though this particular little phrase seems to almost be kind of the... I'm seeing it more. It seems to be the essential strapline for the book. You know, most stories, most letters, most pieces of work, they tend to revolve around a key issue, don't they? And Paul is writing to this group of Christians. They are new Christians, relatively speaking. In fact, the Christian faith itself is relatively new, comparatively speaking. Uh, and Paul is writing to these Christians uh, in a place where their lives are literally being turned upside down. They are being changed. That's what faith in Jesus does. It changes us, or it should do. Uh, and as their lives are being changed, the challenge is for them and therefore for us according to what we read in verse 27 Paul says let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ live worthy there's a, one of the commentaries on the book of Philippines has been quite helpful as I've been reading it its title is Shining in the Darkness. That's another way uh, of saying the same kind of thing, isn't it? Uh, what is it to be a Christian? How does it work out? I think the Christian uh, church, since Jesus was here and until he returns, will constantly be walking a tightrope between two issues. And history tells us that it will continue to fall in one direction or the other. Holding the balance between the two is difficult. And holding the balance between the two in our lives day to day is difficult. Let me describe the two uh, sides that we might fall off and therefore end up in trouble with. One side is that we end up legalistic. And uh, you might perhaps be coming along this afternoon thinking, well, uh, my understanding of the Christian faith is that it is, a, it is a moral code which demands that I adhere to that moral code so that I will be accepted by God. And there are many Christians who live their lives believing that that is true. And we live a life which is driven by legal requirements. We live our lives uh, continuously um, seeking to prove that we are acceptable to God. <laughs> that it, if we do this, God is going to accept us. That is one side. That is falling off the tightrope in that direction. However, there is another side 
that we can equally fall off. Uh, I would say it's hard to... to Libertarianism, liberty, a wrong understanding of grace, living a life which is... It's kind of... We've understood something, okay? Both understands a little bit of the other. That's why it's a tightrope. This group over here, or maybe me, if I'm beginning to tip off in that direction, I've understood, well, actually, the Christian faith isn't all about following a moral code. We've just sung it. We've just sung that the Christian life is about an amazing grace that has been poured out on me by God's goodness, by God's mercy, by God's kindness. And therefore, I can live freely and liberated in that grace. And if I fall off the tightrope in that direction, I end up saying, therefore, it doesn't matter how I live. Or I don't have to be so concerned that God is making demands on me that my life has changed. Because God does. A famous uh, preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said it's really important when you read the Bible that you notice the negatives The points where God says, therefore don't live like that. Therefore, don't do that. That is a really tough job, isn't it? And I guess that for every one of us, no matter where we are this afternoon, we're fighting with that issue. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you're thinking, you know, one of the things that I am really frustrated about this it, it's, is where the church seems to be today, where Christians seem to be. They don't seem to be concerned anymore about living a life which is radically different. And then stretching that kind of attitude just a little bit further says, and I'm better because I do. And I've fallen off the tightrope in that direction. And the other danger is that I can say, I love grace so much, I'm free. And I no no longer need to shine in this world. We've got to get this sorted. You've got to get this sorted. No matter where you are, if you're thinking about this Christian faith, you need to understand that it is not a moral code that is making demands that you live in a particular way. But nor is it uh, a free grace which says you don't have to uh, think seriously about the life that you live. So how do we deal with that? How do we work it through? I think in this little section here, we're going to deal with four verses. We're going to go really quickly through them. Verse 1 to 4 of of chapter 2. We're going to see that there are four foundations 
that the Bible gives us here. So, to let the chapter opens with, don't forget, chapters are helpful for us. They weren't in the original. Paul didn't write in chapters and verses. He just wrote a continuous letter. So where it says so here, it's not like a a, a second letter that followed on. It's continuation. It's in relation to this living worthy. He said, live worthy. Okay? He said, make sure that you're not frightened by your opponents. And then he says, so, in the light of that, what are the four encouragements or foundations that help us to hold these two things together. First is, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, number one. Number two, any comfort from love. Number three, any participation in the Spirit. Number four, any affection and sympathy. There's our foundations. Four foundations to help to deal with this issue of staying on the tightrope. He says, right now, live a life which is worthy. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, being in Christ is one of the most talked about ideas in the New Testament. Being in Christ. It's used 87 times in the New Testament. It's used by both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, and the writer to the Hebrews, who talks about the idea of us being in Christ, united with him. Now what he's saying is, now think about that. That is an encouragement, isn't it? It is an encouragement to think that the Christian faith is not something that I do on my own in isolation. It is not something that I do by being really strong myself. Oh no, the Christian faith is about being rooted in somebody else. And that person is no less than the creator of the universe who came into this world and died and rose again and returned to heaven. No less than the Son of God, Christ himself. So he's saying now, Paul is saying, if you're struggling with the idea that you've got to live a life worthy, don't forget the encouragement is that you're not by yourself in this. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. I was, um, I remember when, uh, when I was, I think I've mentioned this when I was very little, um, my nanny used to take me over to uh, Liverpool football uh, stadium just at the last 20 minutes they'd open the big gates she'd take me on a few occasions up to the back uh, of the of the cop and uh, on one occasion I was about you know, a few rows down and, uh, and and the cop was all standing then it was pre the disaster and, and every so often down this kind of terracing of, of concrete Uh, steps, which is what the cop was, literally steps all the way down, probably about 23, 24,000, maybe maybe more, Uh, people would stand on the cop and uh, and you'd see it on occasions, there'd be like this wave 
that kind of all surged forward. I don't think my dad knows this, but my nana took me in there when I was very little. And, um, <laughs> and somehow I ended up in amongst the crowd. And, and I'm about this big, looking, looking sat, sat on this railing, looking at the match. And, and there's this huge surge. And, and I remember this guy behind me put his hands each side of me on the barrier and just held back the push of the crowd. I'd have been crushed, probably, little fella. Uh, that's the way it was. Uh, a bit older, and then, you, know, you end up in there and you do get crushed uh, as the crowd surges forward. That is what it is like in the issues of life Do you feel sometimes as though the issues of life and your ability to maintain and to walk and to live consistently, faithfully, are just going to crush you? Jesus says, you're in me. It's as though I have got my hands each side of the railing and you might feel the pressure, but it will never, never crush the life out of you. You're in me. That is what it means to live a Christian life. To know firstly that I am doing it in him, not in myself. Secondly, he says, is there any comfort from love? We all want to be loved. Even those of us who say, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I'm quite happy by myself, you know. Even that is an expression that we, in a way, want to be loved because we're scared of the fact that maybe it might not always be there. So we protect ourselves. Now, don't don't allow it to get too close uh, because I might get hurt and therefore I'll push it away. We all want to be loved. Niccolò Machiavelli who uh, was a famous um, political thinker uh, and pretty, pretty uh, obnoxious man in the 14th, 15th century. He wrote a, a book called The Prince, which is devoted to um, leadership at, at the prince level, at the kind of country leader level. The first thing that we said is being in Christ is that he is that big. He's our Lord. Machiavelli wrote a chapter where he asks the question, is it better for a prince to be feared or loved? Is it better for a prince to be feared or loved? You see, for Machiavelli in his mind, and I would say for anybody in this world, you cannot be both in this world. You cannot have awesome power so that you are Lord of all and you can hold back with strength the oppressing forces of this world. That awesomeness, which is so huge, it becomes fearful and love as well. Jesus is the one who can hold those two things together. 
He is the only being in the whole of the universe who has astounding, supreme, incredible power and authority, a sovereignty over everything in this world, and at the same time extends a love to those who don't deserve it. If we all want to be loved, which we do, imagine what it is to be loved by someone who will never let you down, who will never desert you, who will never fail you, who in spite of all of your problems and all of my problems, in spite of the fact that we mess up, in spite of the fact that we end up unfaithful to him, his love is faithful to us. Imagine what it is to be loved by the creator of the whole of the universe. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, do you understand what it is, this Christian faith? Your encouragement that you're in Christ, you are not just in him so that he is Lord and sovereign and rules over you with a rod of iron. No, you're loved by him as well. And what's more, that is not a kind of, um, a, a kind of uh, philosophical or theoretical idea. He goes on to say this. Do you know that there is also a participation in the Spirit? There is an engaging. There is an engaging as you participate in the church the one spirit of Jesus Christ contained within his people where we, we participate together. But the spirit participates individually as well, doesn't it? The, the spirit is not uh, is something which... Have you experienced that? I'm beginning to think, you know what? <laughs> I don't know what's going on in my life, but it's changing. The stuff that is happening, which I can't come to terms with it fully. In fact, it's a little bit frustrating at times because the things that I was once quite comfortable with, it's beginning to grate with me now. If you're at that stage, there is the participation of the Spirit of God which is beginning to deal with you inside. But the participation of the Spirit of God continues throughout our lives. That time where we know as we look forward at the issue that we face, the reality of the coming days or weeks of what we know we are going to have to go through. Maybe it's an extended period of just guaranteed Illness or debilitation. How am I going to get through that? And then we do get through it, and at the other end, we know that the reason that we got through it is because the Holy Spirit is participating with us on a personal, real, day-to-day, living experience of His oneness with us. You see, it is not just about an encouragement of being in Christ, 
but it is an experience of being in Christ as well. That's what the Christian faith is. Affection and sympathy, we read, as the final phrase of these four. Any affection and sympathy. What does that mean? Is it affection and sympathy that we receive from people around us? It could be. And it ought to be. Is it affection and sympathy that we give to others? Well, it could be and should be. But if we look at the way this thing has flowed through, we are in Christ. We are comforted by his love. We experience him day to day. We receive continuously his affection and sympathy. I think that that's the flow that we see here. We are from the day that we first receive Jesus Christ personally entering into our lives, we are the recipients of God's affection towards us. We are also the recipients of his sympathy. Now that grapes. Who needs sympathy? People who are helpless. That's who needs sympathy. And and I don't know about you, but I find it really difficult to be on the receiving end of sympathy. Actually, as I think about man flu, maybe we're not. But, you know, at a really deep level, I don't want to be on the receiving end of sympathy. Because it says, doesn't it, that I am helpless. It says that I have no hope. There is something bigger than me that is giving me something that I cannot muster up in myself. And until we understand that, we will never come to terms with what the Christian faith actually is. It is the fact that I need sympathy. I need the sympathy of a God who is perfect in every way, who I have offended, who I have uh, responded against, who I have hated in my heart, and yet he shows me affection. I need it every day. I need the sympathy of a God who continues to show me that kind of kindness, because you know what? When I'm walking along that tightrope of those two issues, on the one hand, legalism, on the other hand, liberty, and I fall in this direction and I end up doing all of the things that just make me feel liberated and free because I know I'm saved by grace and I know I'm wrong in that, I need God's sympathy. And when I fall the other way, And I live my life thinking that if I do this and I do that and I walk around with my mental tick list saying I've done all the things that God says I've got to do to be good and accepted and I come out with some sort of final checklist that's presented to God that says there you go, I've done all of this, you've got to accept me and he says I'm not going to accept you for any of that. You Pharisee, I need the sympathy of God. 
I need the sympathy that says, finally, I will accept you, not because you feel like you're free, not because you feel like you've checked off every little detail. I I will show you sympathy because of my son. I will love you because I love you. That is amazing, isn't it? What are the reasons God loves us? I remember somebody once saying, it's an incredibly helpful thing, if you're ever asked by your partner, um, why do you love me? That's a really dangerous question. That is a dangerous question. Why do you love me? Because as soon as you commit to anything, you're in trouble. I love you because you are a fantastic cook. What happens when you burn the meal? (laughs) Does it mean I don't love you anymore? I love you because you are the most beautiful woman in the whole world, which I do. What happens when something occurs in life that takes that away? I love you because I know that you'll never let me down. What happens when that doesn't work out? I love you because I love you. I just love you. That's what God says to us. Affection. We need that more than anything. We need that kind of unqualified, unreserved Love doesn't depend on anything that we do. Isn't knocked over by anything that we don't do. That kind of love, that kind of foundation, those four things, creates for us a tremendous platform, doesn't it, to move forward. Therefore, you be like this. That's what he's saying. That's what it says, isn't it? Therefore, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You go away and you be the same. What does that look like? I'm just almost going to read these because in the light of what we've just said, these just shout out, don't they? If if that's what Jesus has done for me, he's now saying, now you go and do this for others. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. That's what Jesus has done for me. That's what Jesus has done for everyone who he has died for. He has counted us more significant than his life. Isn't that an incredible thing for the one who is perfect in every way? You go away and you do the same. We don't live like that, do we? 
and therefore we're called to live like that. We're called not to work really hard and walk around with our mental tick list so that we do all of the things that says, I'm a good Christian. No, we allow the fact of Jesus, encouragement, love, participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy, so to flood into my life, so to just wash over my day-to-day experience that it changes me. I don't have, and I do, but I ought not to in the light of this. I ought not to think of others less than me. Now that comes over in all sorts of ways, doesn't it? Little attitudes. The raising of eyebrows. Critical humor. You know, it's easy to say, don't be nasty. (laughs) It's at the subtle levels where we really see the impact of whether this is working out in our lives. Is my attitude changed in such a way that I look to others' interests, not just my own? That kind of changed life is the kind of changed life that will shine in this world. It's the kind of changed life that will be a foundation. If this church is going to move forward, if this church is going to engage with people truly, really, meaningfully, It's because we're changed deep down. And it will not happen unless we're changed deep down. It will not. Because, and if you're listening thinking, oh dear me, that sounds like some sort of a, almost like a cult thing, is it? Everybody get on board. I think you know as well as I do that there is a desperate desire for that kind of purity in this world. There is a desperate need for that kind of self-sacrificing love. And I know because I've seen little glimpses of it personally and because I've seen it more worked out in other people, I know that that kind of life sold out for other people because we want to reflect Jesus, not me, is the most freeing and liberating life there is. Bob Geldof got to the end of Live Aid and he said, is that it? for all the good that he'd done, and he did a huge amount of good, there was an emptiness. Where does it, where does it reflect? It can't reflect on me because it's good things for other people. It can't reflect on me. He knew it couldn't, he couldn't direct it at him. Where's it going to reflect? 
He's left with this dilemma of where do I point this goodness to? And a life which is absolutely sold out for Jesus says it gets pointed there. Because that's where it came from in the first place. My prayer, in fact, the pastor Paul in this letter to the church at Philippi, he says, make my joy complete. He says, you know, there's one thing that's going to make me happy. It's not just that you've received the message. It's that it's got a grip on you so that your life is changed and transformed. It's my prayer for this church that the message of Jesus so grips us all that we are changed beyond recognition ultimately. May that be, by His grace, our experience.